1 John chapter 3 this morning. 1 John chapter 3, we've been walking through the book of 1 John. We're beginning in chapter 3 this morning. And uh, once you've reached the chapter, if you would stand for the reading of the scripture, if you're able to do so. 1 John 3, we're going to read the first three verses of this chapter. It says here, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. I want to preach to you this morning on beholding the love of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we do love you and thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Father, our words could never possibly paint the picture of just how good you have been to us. But Lord, we thank you for the great love wherewith you loved us. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be your children today. We thank you for the privilege of being part of the family of God. And we just ask that you would help us now as we get into this passage of scripture to not only understand in our minds the truth here and grasp the meaning, but Lord, would you help us to receive the implication of that meaning? Would you help us to understand how these things affect us and are applied to us today? And Lord, individually in our lives, I ask that you would just do your work. Father, help us to draw closer to you, and may we leave here today with a deeper love and gratitude for all that you've done for us. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This chapter <clears throat> begins with the word behold. Behold is an interesting word. Uh, it, it literally means to look at something with attention. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I certainly have. In the day and age in which we live, people are often distracted. And uh, many times you can walk around and you see people are just kind of looking at their phone in their hand. And, and uh, I, I saw a cartoon at one, one time that uh, showed it, it was supposed to be millennials after spring break on the beach. And they were sunburned, except you could see where they had a, a, a phone that had shaded them because they were looking at their phone the whole time. So everything else was sunburned, but the, the outline of a phone was still uh, pretty white there. And it was, it's, it's kind of comical because how many people live today just buried in their devices, so much so that their attention span, even if you can get them away from the screen, sometimes they're just kind of staring off in the distance. How, how many of you have ever done that where you're looking at something but you're not really paying attention uh, to, what, to what it is? The word behold means to look with intentionality. It's, it's kind of like the word hearken. If you've heard the, the word hearken that we find in the Bible, the word hearken means to listen with attentiveness, to, to open your ears and pay attention to what, what is being said. 
The word behold is, is very similar, but it refers to our eyes. It means to open our eyes and to look with intentionality, to look with understanding, to, to, to bring something into focus and into view, and to begin to consider that which we see. And this chapter opens with that word, behold. I, I want to draw your attention to something. I want you to pay special attention to what I am about to say. And that's exactly where, really, the first thing that he brings up is our attention, what we are to set our mind upon. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. He draws our attention to the, to the love of God. Now, I want to say to you this morning that the most powerful thing in all the world, the most powerful thing that we can experience in this world is the love of God. God is so wonderful, and He is so powerful, and He is so great, and He is so far above all things. But one of the greatest attributes of God is that God is love. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that God is loving, that God has love, but that God is love. It is His very nature to be love. And all love comes from God. In fact, later in this book, we're going to read... In verse number 7 of chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. True love can only come from God, because God is love. We sing songs about the love of God. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? And, and, and we think about the, uh, we, we sing the song, the, the love of God. In the last verse of that of that song talks about if, uh, could we with ink the ocean fill and, and were the skies of parchment made and were every stalk on earth, earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. So the idea is the oceans instead of being filled with water are filled with ink and, and every blade of grass and every weed is a, is a pen and every man is a scribe, he's a, he's a writer and the entire sky is a, a big piece of paper for us to dip our pens in the oceans and write the love of God, but that the, that the ocean itself couldn't contain the ink, that the sky couldn't contain the words, that there aren't enough people on earth in all of eternity to describe the love of God, Amen. to write the love of God above. It's impossible. We would not be able to do so. And we sing about the greatness of the love of God. And I want you to know something this morning. In a world that is looking for love, they need to look no further than God. Because God is love. And our attention this morning is drawn to the immense and amazing love of God. But I want to say to you also that truthfully, in all honesty, and I've poured over this passage of scripture and I have studied this and and, and I've tried to be very honest with myself. And, and the truth is that I, I know that God is love. And I know that God is the greatest example of love. And I know that God, all love comes from God. But I want you to know that on a very personal level, that means very little to me. If it were not for the experience in my life that I have received the love of God. In other words, the, 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 the theological awareness that God is love really does not, doesn't do very much for us. I mean, it, it, it does reveal to us how sinful we are because we don't naturally love as God does. 
But, but beyond that, it really means very little to us were it not for the fact that God directed his love and, and bestowed his love upon us. Notice it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. The word to bestow literally means to apply to. In other words, the, the, the love of God has been applied to his people. We have received his love. That, that love that is so wonderful and so immense and so far beyond our comprehension, our understanding, and even our ability to articulate, that great love has been appropriated in my life in one way. I am a son of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. His love was bestowed upon me. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was an enemy of God. And yet his great love wherewith he loved me reached out to me and reached down to me. It sent his son to die in my place and to pay the penalty for my sin. And not only did he forgive me, you, you would maybe think this God in his love and his mercy and his grace took hell bound and hell deserving sinners and offered us a full pardon where we could be forgiven, but what, wouldn't you think that maybe God would say, you know what, you're forgiven, I'm not going to condemn you to the lake of fire, I'm not going to condemn you to the flames of hell, but I'm just going to kind of, you can keep your distance and go off and live by yourself and, and you know, go and sin no more. But, but really, God didn't say to us, go and sin no more. He said, come and eat at my table. Uh, think about that for a moment. Uh, he, he forgave us, he saved us, and he invites us to his table where we, have, we are now called his sons and daughters. I'm his child. I've been adopted into his family. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ, my Savior. And in a, in a spiritual sense, Christ is my brother because I, I am a child of God. I, my father is his father. Amen. Wow. Behold, what manner of love. That God should love a sinner such as I. Think about this for a moment. Behold it. Set your attention upon this. Because it's the most incredible and amazing story that's ever been told. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That we should be called the sons of God. So he draws our attention to this reality this morning. But then he speaks of acceptance. And I want you to think about this for a moment. I've been accepted into God's family. At the moment of salvation, a lost, hell-bound, and hell-deserving sinner who is the enemy of God by nature and by choice. Let, let me say this. Most people don't understand this, and very few will admit this. But prior to salvation... We are the enemies of God and we are haters of God. The Bible tells us that. Our sinful flesh hates God. Now you could have grown up in church and even enjoyed church and thought that you loved God, but your sinful flesh hates God. That, that is who we were before Christ. But now I, who was the, the child of hell, the child of the devil, the hater of God in my heart, the enemy of God, have been brought nigh by the blood of Christ and adopted into his family, and I am accepted in him. Amen. Now that's love. That's love, folks. That he would love us enough to, 
to save us and to make us part of his family, to call us his own sons and daughters. <clears throat> One of the greatest problems in the world today is a, a desire, a need for acceptance. People are looking to be accepted. But I've been accepted. Not because I'm part of the in crowd, not because I'm famous, not because I'm someone that is well respected and well liked. I am accepted because of Christ. And on his uh, on, on, on the grounds of his righteousness, I'm accepted in him. I'm accepted by God. That's love, folks. Hold your place here and go with me to the book of Ephesians in chapter number one. Ephesians chapter one. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, look at verse number 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. In the beloved, in the family of God, if you are a child of God, if you've been saved, you have acceptance in him. You are accepted in the beloved. You're part of the family. These are wonderful, wonderful truths that are presented here in Ephesians 1. And quite honestly, I'm afraid... That we as Bible-believing Baptists shy away sometimes from, from the reality and the truths that are here because we're afraid of some of the, the, the strange and outlying doctrines that are out there that are based off of this where people have rejected the, the free will of man. They've rejected the fact that God has made the gospel available to everyone. But I want you to know, even though my human mind is too limited to fully understand this, I believe that I can say on the authority of the Word of God that if you are a child of God today, you have been chosen in Him. You belong to Him. That God reached out, chose you, and placed you into His family by His grace. Amen. Jesus said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. I, I, I've, I've called you. I've chosen you. We are His child. We belong to Him, not because of our own works, not because of our own merits, not because we were anything worth saving, but simply because of his great love. Amen. And we're accepted in him, we're accepted in Christ by, the, by, by the, the gift of his blood shed on our behalf. Go a page forward or so to chapter 2 of Ephesians and verse number 19. Notice these words, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Do you know that if, if you're here this morning, you're a child of God, you've been saved. You are not an outsider and you are not an outcast. You're accepted. That's good news, folks. That's good news. This is one of the reasons it's so tragic and so sad when people who claim to be Christians are divided. When within churches you have cliques, people, I like these people over here, I associate with these people, but not these people over here. Listen, 
If you're a child of God, you ought to love those who are begotten of him. And you have no more right or reason to be part of the family than they do. We're only here because of the love of God and sacrifice of God. And in him we're accepted. We're accepted in him based on his righteousness. We are to have fellowship one with another. We studied that in 1 John chapter 1. That if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Earlier in the chapter, in verse number uh, 3, it says, uh, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. There is no place for the idea of popularity among God's people. There's really only the place for all of us to be walking in fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And if we were walking in fellowship with our Heavenly Father, we're going to be in fellowship with those who are walking with Him. That's just the way it is. So we have acceptance. Now, as we go back to 1 John chapter 3, I want to remind you, we are loved by God, we're accepted by God, we are children of God by His grace and His mercy that He's bestowed upon us, He's poured out upon us. But because of our acceptance in Christ, we can expect rejection by the world. Notice he says at the end of, let's just look at verse number one again. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Colon. That's not not a period. That's not the end of the sentence. It's actually just the, the preface to what he's getting at. Look at what he says. Therefore... The world knoweth us not because it knew him not. If you've experienced the love of God in salvation, if you have experienced what it is like to be received in his family, if you are a child of God and walking, as we talked about last time, abiding in him, you can beware of this this very reality that you will be rejected by the world. We ought not to think it's strange, folks, when the world doesn't receive us. Sometimes it can be disheartening. It can be discouraging. It can be embarrassing. And a lot of people really try to hide kind of their their relationship with God and their faith in God because they're afraid of what the world's going to think of them. It's disheartening when you go and you try to tell someone about Christ... And rather than being met with gratitude, you're met with rejection. One of the hardest things for young Christians to experience is the first time that they go and knock on someone's door to tell them about Jesus and they get that door slammed in their face. They get told, don't ever come back here. They get told, uh, you know, I have my own religion. Quit trying to shove your religion down my throat when you're, you're just trying to love someone, care about someone, but... But they reject you, and that can just kind of deflate you, you know, just take the wind out of your sails a little bit, and you feel like, oh, man, now this person doesn't like me. Some people more than others struggle with this idea. I, I personally am one I like to be liked. I'm a nice person. That should have gotten some amen. What, you don't think I'm a nice person? No. I like to be liked. I want to be liked. I want to be accepted. Who doesn't? But in the world, because of our association with Christ, 
We are outsiders. We're strangers. And Christians don't fit here. In fact, if you do fit here, and you do find acceptance in the world that you don't find in Christ, something's wrong, folks. Something's wrong. We are not called to fit in with the world. It's unnatural for Christians to try to fit into this world. After all, we are to be living a life of obedience to our Lord. And He's to be flowing through us and living through us. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We are to be abiding in Him. And if He is flowing through us and living through us, guess what? This world, do you remember? They're enemies of God. They're haters of God. We, we ought to expect that there's going to be some rejection by the world if we really are what we ought to be. Go with me, if you would, to John chapter 15. <clears throat> John 15. We spent some time last Sunday night talking about abiding in Christ and He's, he's the vine, we're the branches. But look down, if you would, at verse number 18 of John 15. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 17, rather, first. It, it says, these things I command you, that you love one another. I want to just reiterate, we ought to love one another. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Christ came unto his own, his own received him not. He was despised and rejected of men. You see, if, if I am living in him and he in me, if I am living a life that is Christ-like and modeling my Savior I can fully expect that the same people who rejected him are going to reject me. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light. Who's the light of the world? Well, Jesus is the light of the world, right? The light of the world is Jesus. We sing that song. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But you know what else he said? He said, you are the light of the world. Well, who's the light of the world, him or us? Well, yes. It's him in us, through us. And, and when, when we are living in obedience to him, here's what happens. The likeness of Christ is shining through us, and it begins to illuminate the dark, wicked works of this world. And men love darkness rather than light. Now, you ought not to seek to be rejected by people. <laughs> Don't go out to be obnoxious and seek to be offensive. We ought to love people, be kind to people. And I want to remind you that everywhere Jesus went, he drew a crowd. Overall, people loved to be around Jesus. Even the scribes and the Pharisees somehow were drawn to him. But they rejected what he taught. They rejected who he was. I'm not saying that we ought to drive people away. I'm just saying, don't expect, if you're living a life of obedience to the Lord, that you are going to be accepted in this world. You can find your acceptance in Christ. 
Look at verse number 19 here in John 15. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The people that rejected Christ are going to be the same people that reject you if Christ is living through you. But that's okay, because you're not called to fit into this world. You're not called to be part of this world. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us we are ambassadors for Christ. Now an ambassador, I think most, most people understand what that is. An ambassador is one who goes to a foreign land on behalf of their homeland. The United States has ambassadors all over the world, and, and we have ambassadors here from other countries that, that come and they represent their government, they represent their people, and, and they try to influence policies and, 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 and kind of the perception of their nation on the world stage. That's, that's what they do. They're kind of a PR person for their government, for their nation. And this is the concept that we are, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. Now, I want you to think this morning that if, if uh, through those doors walked uh, the, the French ambassador to the United States, and after church you, you decided you were going to go up and talk to him, you think there are some things that would, would tip you off that maybe he's not from here? Probably his accent. I've... I've does anybody here speak French? Good, I won't offend anyone then. I was going to say that, that uh, I've, I've listened to French people speaking before and wondered, do they have a speech impediment or are they hard of hearing? <laughs> kind of slur everything together, you know? Talk from the... They just, they, their lips are always loose. They're talking from the back of their mouth, you know? They sound different. I don't, I don't dislike French people. I just give them a hard time, okay? Um, if the French ambassador was here this morning, he might try to look like us and act like us in some ways because he's trying to connect with people. He doesn't want to stand out and push people away, but at the same time, he's not afraid to make it known. He's not an American. He's here as an ambassador. And he's different. And his talk gives it away, his walk gives it away, he thinks differently than we do. Listen, we're, we're strangers here. We're ambassadors here. We are, we're sent here on behalf of the Lord. We are ambassadors for Christ. And our speech should give us away, and the way we carry ourselves should give us away, and the way we think should give us away, and people ought to be able to look at us and say, you know what, that's a nice person, and they're loving, and they're kind, but boy, they sure aren't like the rest of us. There's something different about them. If there's nothing different about you, you have to ask yourself, who am I really representing? Children of God are not meant to be accepted in this world. We're not of this world. We're here on behalf of another kingdom. We're recruiting citizens for another kingdom. That's what we're here for. So we're accepted in him, but we're rejected by the world. And folks, that's okay. I would much rather be accepted in Christ and in his kingdom than in this world. Boy, this world has nothing to offer. But he has everything. He is everything. 
He's everything. So he draws our attention to the love of God. He speaks of our acceptance. And then, and then he, we get to verse number 2 and he begins to speak of our anticipation. Look, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I'm thankful that this is not some future thing. One day when I die and go to heaven, I'll be a child of the Lord. I'll be a child of the King. No, today, now. I am a child of God. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. I get a lot of questions from, from people at times. I get a lot of questions from my children about heaven. What's it going to be like? What are we going to look like? What kind of abilities are we going to have? What kind of knowledge are we going to have? I'll tell you, there are certain windows in the scriptures that are kind of open that give us a little glimpse into some things but ultimately what waits ahead for us is kind of a big question mark you know what I mean by that I don't I, I don't know what heaven's going to be like entirely I have some descriptions of what the new Jerusalem is going to be like I have some examples from what John saw I have some examples of of things that Jesus talked about with, with the rich man and Lazarus. And, and, and I mean, we get these little glimpses into eternity and, and heaven and what it's going to be like. But overall, the Bible doesn't really give us a lot of answers. I don't know if you're going to look younger in heaven. Some of you, I would imagine, maybe so. I'm kidding, kidding. Some of us, we're hoping we have more hair. Or maybe that our hair is a different color. Some of us hope that we're a little bit more fit. Now, why do you laugh at that one? We have things that we hope for, things that we think, things that we assume. Ultimately, we really don't know. We don't know exactly what it's going to be like. But here's what we do know. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, that's when Christ returns, we shall be like him. Boy, that's so encouraging to me. Because I really struggle to be Christ-like. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what God wants me to do. You know that, that question, what would Jesus do that was so popular all those years ago? That's a good question. <laughs> Truth is, we, most of the time we know the answer. It's not so much what would he do, it's what did he do. I mean, we can pick up the book, what did he do? How did he respond in this situation or that? It's not that I don't know what I should do. The question is doing what I, that's where I struggle, is doing what I know I ought to do. Man, I have a hard time with that. But there's coming a day when I'm going to be like him. Amen. Just the very, we shall be like him for, for, because we shall see him as he is. When I, when I stand in his presence, and I don't, 
Don't ask me how this works. I just All I know is this is what the Bible says. Somehow when I stand in his presence, the realization of who he is will change who I am. And I'll be like him. And it's not going to be, you know, this, this I've been saved for a lot of years. And I, I'm thankful that I'm not where I was. I'm growing. But it's a long process of sanctification. And it's not going to be completed in this lifetime. But folks, in a, when Christ returns in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Forever and ever and ever. To be like the Lord. Wow. What a revelation that is. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And then look at verse number three. It says, and every man, every man, every person, every Christian, every man that hath this hope in him, what hope? The hope that we will be like Christ. Every man this, that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he, Christ, is pure. In other words, if you know that you're saved and on your way to heaven, and you know that one day you're going to be like Christ, you have that hope in your heart, the response, the, 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 the attitude that you should have should be, I am going to start trying to live like him today. I, I want to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. Why? Because someday I'm going to be just like him. Now's a good time to start preparing, you know? Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You know, I think there are some people that claim to be saved, but they really don't live like they're wanting to go to heaven and be with the Lord. I had a friend that actually wrote a, a gospel track, and here, here was the title of the track. <laughs> might seem strange or counterintuitive. It says, so you think you want to go to heaven. Are you sure? And here's why. It talked about heaven. It talks about being in the presence of the Lord. It talks about His holiness. It talks about His righteousness. It talks about the change in our lives. And the truth is, there are a lot of people that want to just kind of live like the world and hope that they're going to get to heaven and just enjoy themselves and have a great time. Boy, I hope that God gives me a a big old mansion somewhere on a lake where I can go out and fish all day. and Folks, that's not what heaven's about. The glory of heaven is being in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Savior that died to save us. And if you have that hope in you, folks, you're going to understand there's something greater than just the enjoyment of this life. No, we're to be purifying ourselves even as He is pure. We want to be like Him. One of the glories of heaven is that we are going to be free from sin. I'm thankful. Salvation, the blood of Jesus Christ, here's what it's done. When I got saved, it delivered me from the penalty of sin. I no longer have to live in fear of dying and going to hell. Praise God. I'm on my way to heaven. Praise the Lord. But that's not all that salvation did. It also delivered me from the power of sin. I no longer have to live under the control, under the thumb of Satan and, and of my own sinful flesh. I have freedom in Christ. I have liberty. I have the ability to overcome 
because of the blood of Christ. I'm free from the power of sin. We're dead unto sin, according to Romans chapter 6. We're dead to sin. I'm free from the penalty of sin. I'm free from the power of sin. But folks, there is something that is yet to come. And that is one day I'm going to be free from the very presence of sin. It's, it, it's gonna, it won't even exist in my presence anymore. It I won't live in this sinful flesh. I won't struggle with my own carnality. I won't be exposed to temptation in the world. I'm going to be delivered from the presence of sin. And I'm going to be in the presence of the righteousness and holiness of God. Wow. What a hope. That's going to be wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So we're to purify ourselves, even as he is pure. You say, how can I do that? Well, let me give you a hint. We're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. The closer you get to Christ, the more you will become like him. Draw nigh unto him. and He will draw nigh unto you. One last place I want you to turn before we close. 1 Peter chapter number 1. <clears throat> 1 Peter 1. Look at verse number 13, if you would. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here... In fear, remember, we're sojourners, we're strangers. Past that time, we're here in fear, for as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you. Folks, if you're saved, you have this hope of Christ, this hope of heaven, this reality that you are now a part of the family of God in you. Don't live your life fashioning your life after the, the world and living like the world. Listen, folks, we've got something far greater to live for. We've got something far greater to strive for. We're already accepted in Him. But now we're called to live a life Preparing for his return. Beholding the love of God.